welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for Monday or Wednesday or Thursday or Saturday. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It depends when you're listening because after all, it's your podcast. Joining me today um, is a gentleman who is not in the forest, he's not in the valleys, he's not in the sea, but you might find him on a mountaintop. It's it's Matt Quok from Mountaintop Games, and here's to, he's here to talk about the primary, because this is We're Not Wizards, and this is a quick start on the kickstart. So, hello, Matt. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, very good. Busy. I'm about a 9.8 just at the moment, you know. Things, oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of like, this is, you know, things are good. I feel, do you know what I feel like? I'm like the bit, the end of the Rocky montage when he gets to the steps, and he's just got <laughs> he's just got his arms in the air like stretching up. Um, how are you doing though? I'm good. I'm good. I was probably right around that nine point eight the other day when the Kickstarter launched, but things are calming down now for me. Because you've got your game out at the moment um, called the Primary, which I'm gonna guess is not a dungeon game. It's <laughs> it's not a car racing game. I'm guessing it's potentially about. Is it about? It's not about schools. Um, it's about it's about <laughs> elections, isn't it? You uh, you nailed it. There you go. Um, right on the head. <laughs> it's uh, election themed, but the gameplay is not at all political. All right. Okay. Well, let's um. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll definitely need to find out why that is the case then sir but what we need to do beforehand is we need to say hello to everybody who's listening for the first time so hello everybody who's listening for the first time the reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games (laughs) Um, hello everyone hello everybody who's looking for a board game podcast you don't have to look anymore definitely don't have to go to apple podcasts and look for board games they're just right here there's us there's the other Scottish people, there's the Unlucky Frog Gaming, um, there's also the incredibly large First Player Token as well, but they don't do board games as much, so we kind of mention them now and again, but definitely Unlucky Frog Gaming. Um, and the other reason that we do this is because about last year, middle of last year, me and Matt struck up a conversation, and the conversation went, Hey Matt, hey Richard, I listened to your show. Yeah. Are you getting a game together? Yeah, I am. When are you getting your game together? It's going to be 2018. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we talk in 2018? Now, all of a sudden, 2018 went from being well over there to actually being here in the now. And so what we want to do is we want to have a little chat with Matt. And we're going to find out a little bit about his history with the hobby. And then we're going to find out a lot about what he's doing with this primary thing that he's talking about. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby, first of all? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually relatively new to the hobby. Um, I live in Madison, Wisconsin right now, and I went to school here and left to go work in Michigan, and then just recently, about two, two and a half years ago, came back. And that's really when I started getting into the hobby. Um, I kind of reconnected with some old roommates who were still in the area, and 
you know, they slowly introduced me to the hobby, got me playing some cooler games. We eventually got, you know, a weekly game group together and I just fell in love. Um, so, you know, childhood, always played Monopoly and Risk and those classics, but um, it's only been the last couple of years that I've really gotten into playing some of these cooler games and then, you know, even more recently than that, trying my hand at designing them. What was the first game that you got introduced to? Oh, wow. Um, probably Ticket to Ride. That's probably my gateway game. Did they kind of lay it out in front of you and said, Matt, you seen a board game before? Yeah, of course, I've, <laughs> of course I've seen a board game before. And then they kind of opened up the box slowly. That it did the the very slight board game opening box kind of fart. <laughs> and they went, look, Matt. Trains, Matt. Little plastic trains. But where do they go? They go in here, they go on the board. Where's? But there's no dice. Uh, there's no randomness. Well, you know, there's there kind of is. But um, and then you were doing that, that. That was you where you're off. Did you step into the world of pandemic as well? We did. Um, I think yeah. Right when I was starting to get into it, that was like obviously one of the huge games on the market, and everyone's raving about pandemic. So um, that was one of my first acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also at the time. Dead of Winter was a big hit, so that was another one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, and it was actually pretty heavy for just starting out, but I really, I really love that game. I like the theme of it, and I also like how it takes some really complicated kind of mechanics and kind of makes it kind of really, really easy, and also makes it very, very kind of social. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember playing that and just going, "Whoa, this is kind of um, this is very, very deep." for what appears to be a game with like standees it's kind of like right. where's the minis it can only <laughs> it can only be a serious game if it's got minis but <laughs> um so you launched onto that i mean i mean have you got a reasonable size game collection now i do i haven't counted recently but i've got a small bookshelf and it's spilling onto a bigger bookshelf and then there's a pile of games that have been yet to play <laughs> Um, so I'm I'm always chipping away at those and always adding more. What's your most recent kind of acquisition kind of been then? Uh, so today oh, okay. I bought. <laughs> I was at the local game store and they just have a actually a used just, section that's I just way too by. I was just passing by the local <laughs> game store. Is that the local game store that's 25 kilometers away from me? Yeah, yeah, that one. I just happened to end up in my car. But you're in the used section, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, um, that's my favorite place to look. I'm a sucker for a good deal. Um, So I found a copy of Elysium, which has been on my want-to-play list for a while now. Um, So I'm excited to check it out and and play it, hopefully sometime soon. I mean, with being kind of new to the hobby, and you saying you're looking at the used stuff, is... Is the price side of things, do you look at kind of like what they're charging for cardboard and think it's kind of reasonable or you think it's, it's quite a lot of money they're asking for some of these things, that are, you know, kind of brand new? Yeah, yeah. I've definitely struggled a little bit, you know, dropping more than 50 bucks for a game. Um, especially, I don't, uh, my, my regular game group from a while back, my old college buddies, kind of dissolved recently. A few people moved away, so it's harder and harder for me to find people to play with so 
as I have less chances to play, it's harder to justify uh, the new games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you get back into kind of like making sure you're playing kind of all of the games that you have, which I think is a, I don't know, it's kind of like there seems to be, and we talk about this all the time, is that people are getting kind of games and games and games and games, and then they have kind of like massive lists of games that they'd like to play, and then a lot of games that they have, if they're selling them on, it's usually kind of one previous owner just being, you know, never punched kind of right, thing, right. kind of thing, <laughs> you know, just being never being played before kind of thing, and and the kind of it's it's already kind of up for sale, and it's like is brand new and shrink has only been on the <laughs> shelf, and it's got like a layer of dust about an inch and a half thick where it's kind of been exactly kind of there. Um, but where, I mean, have you always been quite creative then? I mean, in your younger days, were you always quite a creative? creative person and, and inventive in terms of that side of things yeah i would i would say so um maybe not in all the traditional ways mm-hmm. um but i i'm an engineer by uh study or by skill i don't know <laughs> um but i've i've dabbled in music i like to play the drums mm-hmm. i'm i'm not the most artistic but i used to really enjoy drawing um I don't, yeah i would say i'm somewhat on the creative spectrum uh, of people and where i mean how did you get from playing to playing games then into thinking well actually i'm going to put a game together um i don't know if there was a specific turning point but i think i just fell in love with board games and then kind of like you said just being a, a somewhat creative person figured you know i could i could do this this seems easy <laughs> little did i know it's quite the opposite um but yeah I, I just i just figured i could try and you know i i made a few designs um most of which were pretty terrible um and then kind of stumbled across um my latest one in the primary what do you mean stumbled across it was it just that kind of a passing thought that you went oh actually i can i can do something with this yeah i think um the past election cycle here in the U.S., I really got a, a little bit more involved in the news and, and following everything that was going on politically. And I think it was somewhat in my subconscious when I was following the primary elections. But, um, you know, I, I really found that to be interesting. And it kind of dawned on me that, hey, you know, the fact that in the U.S. you have these elections where different states are voting at different points in time over a span of, I don't even know, maybe a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the general election where you just have, you know, the one, two or three candidates and everyone votes on the same day. Um, and, you know, that's been done in games before, but the primary election is a little bit different. And I don't think it's really been done before, um, at least nothing that I was able to find when I was kind of doing my research. Okay. Um, for people on the British side of the pond... Mr. Kwok. Um, What's the primary all about? Yeah, so the premise of the game is that it follows uh, the U.S. presidential primary election process. So what that is, is when the two main political parties are trying to determine who their final nominee or candidate for president of the United States will become. Mm -hmm. So it's a long, drawn-out process. Um, it's in the media for years on end. Um, but when it actually comes down to the votes, every state um, 
has a vote at a different point in time and it uh, I don't even know the specifics of the timing but it, it takes place over probably weeks um, so Iowa typically votes first and then you kind of progress randomly throughout these states and they all have slightly different ways that they vote or do a caucus and assign these delegates and at the end um, whichever candidate from a field of you know 10 20 uh, candidates who are running to become president um, throughout this presidential uh, primary election process you'll finally narrow down to one person who's going to represent your party and I kind of wanted to take that idea and abstract it a tiny bit and bring it into a board game I mean I guess one of the questions that will come up is but when the election was on there was a lot of kind of card games and I guess cash-ins um, that came out at the time and yet you've waited um, much longer than that to bring out kind of your game um, was that because you wanted to kind of release it away from the kind of the the political kind of atmosphere at that time that you wanted people sure. to concentrate on the game <laughs> as opposed to concentrating on what was happening at the time um, I think it wasn't entirely intentional um i'm not the most patient person <laughs> um so I, uh, the idea kind of came from uh and it was inspired by the election so i started working on it about a year ago and um you know once i kind of learned about the whole kickstarter industry and the board game industry within it just fell in love with the idea um you know got put right on my bucket list you know i i want to do that it seems like a really cool thing mm -hmm. um so the the design and the development progressed um pretty quickly and i just felt like you know I, this is just something i want to do and you know i don't really want to wait and the timing just kind of fell as it did um i think it kind of worked out in the end um you know it'll if successful it'll it'll launch and be, get delivered to some backers right around the time that we'll have midterm elections here so every two years there's elections mm -hmm. um, in november where um, you know some of the smaller votes are at stake for senators and um, other representatives and local government officials so it kind of times well with that it kind of times all right with holidays um, but i didn't really specifically wait or try to time it you know maybe i could have waited until the next presidential presidential election and it could have gotten some more publicity or something like that but uh i just didn't have the patience for it yeah and then but would you have not felt then you would have been you would have had to make it about the kind of the candidates at the time because i'm looking at you know looking at the kickstarter campaign while you seem to have drawn on to kind of different things that could happen to the candidates, positive, you know, positive adverts, kind of campaigns, kind of negative stuff. Um, you don't seem to have kind of gone maybe for the stereotypical, I guess, the candidates that people would maybe expect, expect to see. Was that sure. kind of like, was that kind of like a conscious decision to kind of make it a political game, but not make it necessarily about the politics of the time? because they were likely to potentially change or alter very, very quickly. Yeah, definitely. That was um, something that I consciously wanted to do um, for a couple of reasons. I think one, um, politics are, are pretty divisive or they can be kind of a love-hate thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I know the theme itself might scare some people away, but I didn't want it to be 
so much Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. Um, I wanted to keep it pretty neutral so that you could play with somebody who has different political ideologies than you, still have a good time. Um, you don't have to debate anybody. You don't have to negotiate. There's not really any political nastiness in the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I think part of that is because I don't really enjoy that when I'm playing games. Yeah. Um, so that's just a natural product of kind of my tastes and my preference. Okay. Um, but I also didn't want to scare people away or attach it too much to, okay, this candidate's going to be Donald Trump and this candidate's going to be Hillary Clinton and this one's going to be Bernie Sanders. Um, I kind of wanted to just make it a little bit more neutral, a little bit more accessible um, to anyone. Even if you're not familiar with U.S. politics, you can still kind of get into it and uh, have a good So, um how do you play it on a round by round basis? I mean, you've got the map. It looks like we've got we've got some meeples here. We've got um, you've got like uh, clear cubes as well. It look delightfully like little sweets. Um, look delicious. <laughs> you got round tokens. You've got the first player token. So I mean, how do you, how do you actually play the game? What's the mechanics behind it? Sure. Um, so the intent of the game is that you want to become your party's nominee for president. Mm. And you're going to move around the country. You're trying to gain influence in these regions that are voting at different points in the game. Mm-hmm. So there's 11 rounds to the game. And what you're doing is you're going to travel around the country. All the states are grouped into regions. So regions each vote at during different rounds of the game. Some rounds, there might be two regions voting or there might be three regions voting. Or there's even some rounds where there's going to be no votes and you can kind of just take a break and plan and strategize. Um, So it's a little bit of area control um, and it's also some action programming. So how you make most of your moves and your actions throughout the game is every player has a small hand or deck of cards. And they're all identical and there's a few different actions you can take where um, you're going to choose four cards from your hand and you're going to place them face down in order that you want them to be executed. And you go around the table one at a time, um, and you're going to flip over your first card and execute its action. So first player does it, second player, third player, fourth player, all the way around until everyone's played all four of their actions. So um, you'll kind of have to plan and strategize for your round ahead of time, and you're trying to gauge what your opponents are going to do. You're going to try to predict what their strategy might be. And even though you've programmed your four actions, the cards allow some flexibility that you can react to what your opponents have done. Mm -hmm. So you might have a card, for instance, that's a plane. And your original plan was to fly into New York and hold a bunch of rallies and whip up the voters and get them excited for you for the next vote. But somebody moves there first. Um, So when it's your turn, you flip over your plane and you say, ah, never mind, I'm going to change my plans. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go back home to Chicago, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do all my actions there instead. Um, so that's the the meat of the game, is moving around, trying to gain influence in these regions that vote at different points in time. And you kind of have to plan out your cards. Um, and there's some, there's some tension in a few of them in the way that you gain your influence before you can spend it in a region. Um, you can kind of go a slow and steady route by just holding these fundraisers a very conservative way to gain your influence or you can also try and appeal to the super PAC Mm. um, which is sort of this betting push your luck Um, you're kind of guessing 
who's going to play the most of these cards and whoever does gets a lot more influence. So it's a little bit more efficient, mm-hmm. but also riskier at the same time. Okay. Um, the bot. The v- Yeah. <laughs> what is this bot thing? The Electobot 9000. What is that all about? Yeah, so there's a solo mode um, that I designed for the game. And the the premise is that you're playing against an incumbent robot candidate. All right. And he's uh, very well liked by the people, and he starts with a bunch of influence out there in the map, and you have to go up against him and chip away at his lead and try to become nominee for your party. Um, so you the game plays pretty much the same way as the standard multiplayer version, but every round you're going to draw a bot card, and he's going to move around the map. Um, every card is a little bit different, so there's various criteria that reacts to the state of the board and the state of the game to, to determine where he moves and how much influence he spends and trying to block you from taking certain actions. Um, so it's just a way that you can uh, play it by yourself if you're um, ever inclined. Yeah, I mean, was that like a consideration? Because obviously what you've said kind of earlier on is that um, kind of like the the game group that you were involved in um, has kind of like gone its own separate way. But is solo solo gaming has that always been something that's kind of interested you? That's always you've been interested in doing, and is that why you kind of brought it into the game? Yeah, I mean, I originally didn't have a lot of exposure to solo board gaming. Um, and, you know, as I got more and more into the hobby and designing games, you know, I started listening to a bunch of podcasts and reading a bunch of material. And I kept hearing, like, okay, various board games have designed these solo modes. And they would bring somebody on who talk about their experience. Um, you know, Morton, who's done stuff for um, Stonemeyer Games mm. and Viticulture, I heard him talk about, you know, his process and his system. And it just seemed like a really interesting challenge um as a designer and also something that seemed pretty relevant um i know a lot of people um in the industry and gamers just really look for something that offers something uh, for the solo player um so as i learned about it you know i started to play some more myself um and, and found that you know they can be pretty fun you know if they're done right so i think that's kind of how i decided you know i should probably at least try to do it and i feel like um it worked out pretty well yeah, I think solo play is becoming um, it's becoming a bigger thing. I think it's becoming a bigger thing, especially for kind of Kickstarter things. Um, I think it's one of these things that you know, um, I see games that are kind of like minimum of three players, and that's kind of like, mm, I don't know if that kind of makes me want to play it. Um, but something that brings kind of like in a solo variant, it's like, well, actually, that's a good thing because it allows me to potentially kind of learn the game and learn the rules. Right, with for sure. you know, without having to almost fake it. I mean, there's the argument that you know any two-player game can be a a solo game because you're just playing, you know, you're just playing both sides of the table basically. But um, <laughs> I guess you know, as I say, I've seen it kind of more and more. Kind of here's the solo variant, or when are you going to be doing the solo variant? I don't know if that is because we are in this lovely warm fuzzy place where games are kind of tripping off the river of ideas like a huge waterfall but what it means (laughs) is that you've got 
below it, you've essentially got a huge, massive pile of games. And I think um, it adds value to somebody who maybe has pledged into a Kickstarter that they've then got the ability to to go ahead and um, and play that game and experience it. Because um, I think one of the things we kind of I kind of spoke about recently was the ability for somebody to be able to go in and play your game relatively quickly and get quite comfortable with that game because I think that and this is just maybe me that if I have a game in my collection the chances of it getting played multiple times unless it's maybe a card game that I'm trying to learn kind of drop the more games that I kind of get so what I want more and more from a game is the ability for me to basically set up a game and get into it very very quickly or be able to learn the rules very very quickly so a solo variant to me allows me to learn the basic mechanics from my side of the table so I can then teach other people how to play it as well Um, but that's just me (laughs) Um, (laughs) in terms of because this is the first I mean first of all I mean graphically and in terms of presentation and stuff like that I mean the game looks I mean the game looks really really good I mean, did you huff? Thank you. Did you huff to? Um, I mean, one of the things when you talk about kind of like Kickstarter is the amount of kind of um, time and resources that you have to put into, um, I guess, kind of preparing the campaign. Was that what you had to do in terms of this? Did you did you do you end up kind of like putting, investing quite a bit in making sure that the campaign and the games look right i mean did you put together kind of like review copies and stuff like that yeah yeah um you know i'm not uh, a veteran of the kickstarter industry but it seems even from my initial impressions of what i thought kickstarter was um, it seems like board games have definitely transitioned into something where people want to see you know a pretty much final and polished product on the page or they won't even um you know, consider it. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah, big shout out to OK Art Studio. Um, it's a couple from Argentina who've done a great job with the artwork. Um, but like you mentioned, yeah, you have to invest ahead of time um, and really make sure your art looks great. And I think they've done an awesome job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of time and money going into that and, you know, providing art direction and making sure that it looks good for the campaign and also just all the components. Um, but like you said, putting together review copies, sending them out, um, kicks, it's a, it's such a big process, um, you know, compared to what it, it might seem like. Um, and I tried to do research ahead of time. I tried to read all the blogs, but until you're actually in the thick of it, um, you don't quite get a, a full appreciation for how much work is involved. Because you're not just a designer. You're not just the guy that's commissioning the art. You have to be the kind of the logistics master, don't you? You have to learn about social media and kind of marketing and negotiation with people who are potentially going to review the game and, and kind of everything like that. I mean, um, have you had to take time away from your job, basically? Have you, <laughs> did you put aside kind of like vacation time during the kind of the Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely taken up a ton of my free time, not even the Kickstarter, but just the whole design and development process. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the Kickstarter specifically, um, I I took the first day, the launch day, I took it off from work. 
Um, you know, I had read that it's highly suggested and I would agree. Um, you know, it's just a, a crazy, crazy day. And mm-hmm. I had this whole Excel document listing what I needed to do at different points in the day. And, um, it was a whirlwind, but it, it, thankfully it slowed down a little bit here for me. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it's definitely, um, so many different hats you have to wear when you're preparing a Kickstarter and during the campaign, just, all the different aspects of bringing a board game to the market that you know I never even thought of at first. I mean, it's doing quite. I mean, it's doing quite well. You've got um, you're halfway there in terms of your funding, and you've still got um, you've still got a good good amount of time to go um, before the campaign kind of finishes. Um, I mean, for people that are, I mean, it's got it's like at this moment you've got round about. 26 days left I mean for people who are going to look over the campaign and consider kind of jumping in um, what would you say is the reason that they should consider I mean what would you be your elevator pitch Matt <laughs> um, yeah I'm very happy with where it's at right now um, you know I've I've talked to some friends in the area there's actually quite a few board game designers in the Madison area and they've been super helpful um some of them have their own custom uh, projections for Kickstarters. So they <laughs> they keep me grounded quite a bit. And they say, okay, Matt, it looks like you're going to maybe just squeak by. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still quite a nerve-wracking process. But um, for anyone listening or thinking about backing it, um, you know, don't be scared off by the theme. I know political games and politics can be divisive or polarizing. But I think the gameplay itself... Um, independent of the theme is pretty good um and i i have some reviews on the page that um hopefully feel the same way um so check those out and um you know if you're waffling about trying to back it now or later um we do have some stretch goals going on that are independent of funding so if we're meeting certain um, achievements on social media and things like that um we're unlocking stretch goals that you can vote on, you know, being a election themed game. I decided to bring in some democratic processes into the Kickstarter. As, um, as long as they're not getting counted on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we had one stretch goal unlock and then I had all the backers who were, you know, into the project at that moment, they got to vote and decide which stretch goal they wanted to unlock first so if you're uh, back early or back now, um, you can have your voice heard a little bit more and bring some input into the design of the game. So um, I think that's just a cool way to, to be involved and help kind of shape what the game's going to look like in the end. And uh, how much is it to, to get involved in this party? <laughs> so it's uh, just a dollar to back the game if you want to show your support. If you want a copy of the game, it's $35. And then depending where you live, um, there's a subsidized shipping fee. Uh, the U.S. is $8. If in if you're in the um, EU or UK, it's $16. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can back up to three games and just pay one flat shipping fee. So if you back and pledge for a couple more games, you'll get uh, a better deal on your shipping. Cool. Okay, and where do you exist on the internet webs? <laughs> I try to be in as many places as possible. Um, 
I have a website. It's mountaintop.games. Okay. Um, I have an email, <laughs> obviously. It's um, probably easier to find it on the website, but it's mtntop at mountaintop.games. Okay. Um, I'm on social media. You can search Mountaintop Games, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um Pretty much anywhere people exist on the internet, I try to be there just to be easy to reach. Cool. Well, what we'll do is we will put um, all those links in the show notes that we've got notes to show. Um, Awesome. Thank you. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then just go to the Googles and search for We're Not Wizards. And you'll find us on Twitter, you'll find us on Facebook, you'll find us on Instagram, you'll find us on YouTube, you'll find us on pretty much everywhere. You'll find us on all these podcast places as well now. So you've got like Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify. I've no idea how, but um, (laughs) if you do want to support the show, then please go into Apple Podcasts. And as I say, if you like what you've listened to, drop us a subscription or drop us a review if you're going to drop us a review, then don't give us a 10 because it makes us big-headed. <laughs> but don't give us a 1 because I'm an ugly crier. But give us a 5 because it's in the middle and it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who's <laughs> not being average tonight is the rather wonderful, the rather magnificent, your primary candidate... It's Mr. It's Mr. Mac. It's Mr. Mac Walk. Um, thank you for coming on, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Best of luck with best of luck with the campaign. I hope it all goes swimmingly well. You sound like you've got plenty of time to going on. There's only two more things to do. First thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Matt? No, we are not wizards. Just a little bit of politics. That's all nothing more just a little bit of politics and the next thing is to say goodbye so it's a goodbye from matt say goodbye matt goodbye and it's a goodbye from me remember stay safe roll sixes and don't be tertiary don't be secondary consider being the primary but until the next time goodbye